seat. Thank you, worship team. Great job. Uh, sorry about the slides there. There was a demon possession of the computer, and uh, and then the holy water shorted out some things, and so it was a little, little bizarre. So anyway, happens pretty much every week something. <laughs> so, hey, uh, have we got any graduates in the room right now? You graduated this year, 2020. Hannah, stand up. Celeste, uh, Jen, anybody else? Come well, on, you got to stand. Stand up. Way to go. Way to go, man. Keep standing just for a second. No, don't sit down just yet. Celeste, get back up. Jen, get back up. Here we go. You ready? Jen, come on. You can do this. Jen's like her mom. When she stands up, you can't tell. Let me pray. Hey, Father, we have three graduates today who've completed their education in the high school level, and they are charging out into life with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would just anoint them. I pray they would seek Jesus every day of their life. I pray that you provide every resource, every friend, every support they need to succeed in living for Jesus and to bring Jesus into this world. Thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Way to go. Wow, what a day. So I'm uh, jumping back into a series that we started back in March. That was pre-pandemic. Um, that we interrupted so we could, you know, have a pandemic, and now we're going to come back to this. So um, this is a series that was written primarily for men, uh, but there's plenty in it for everybody, so don't just tune me out. There is a, a piece of artwork in the back that Hallie did in March. We had an art service, which we get to do every so often. And so uh, the, the painting that she painted that Sunday's back there, you want to check it out. It takes the four characters that we are using through this series, the four uh, stages of manhood and, and turns it into a, a pretty cool picture. So I, I want you to check that out and before you leave. Hallie's back there. Oh, she's even back there by it so she can point out what she means by the different artistic things. Just kidding. She doesn't like it when I draw attention to her. <laughs> uh, so, so that in mind, uh, I want to jump into this. There are two sermons left in the series. We've, we talked about the cowboy and the warrior and uh, how that in a stage of a man's life, he has a cowboy stage where he learns uh, you know, how to, how to grow, how to manage himself, and in the warrior stage, he learns how to fight for others, how to work with others, and, and how to lead, and today, we're talking about the king, where a man learns how to serve other people, and uh, so, you know, and I've got to keep my time short, there's so much I really want to say, uh, there are some things that are in this message that are going to be really, uh, I want them to become part of our culture at Ordinary Faith, and uh, so this is, this is pretty important, and I'll be honest with you, it's one of those things where I'm learning a lot about what God's uh, doing, what God wants me to do, and, and, and I love it, hate it, love, hate it, when God gives me an opportunity to practice what I'm teaching just before I teach it, and so I got that opportunity this morning, it was pretty great, and so I'm not even going to tell you about it, but you'll, you'll know when we get there, okay? So, uh, so men, I want to talk to you for a minute, um, just kind of kick this off for you guys. I know it, I, I want to, I wanna, first of all, I want to say that, uh, one, I respect you, and I want to honor you, and what I want to talk about today is in no way meant as a jab at you or your husband's ladies. It, it's not meant as something, I really don't want a single woman in this place to come in a point of it and go, you, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Don't, don't do that. He won't like it. He, he won't like it at all. And he won't do dishes after lunch if you do that to him. So, um, but I also want to be honest with some of the challenges we face. And I realize that it's challenging, it's hard to be a man or a woman in the world in which we live. But I'm kind of talking to men on that regard. And so, uh, guys, I want to, uh, 
I honor our challenges that we face. And, uh, but I also want us to know that we can, we can excel. We can, we can do better. We can be stronger. We can keep growing no matter what life throws at us. So <clears throat> there's a, a, a whole lot of paths a man can take today. There's the abuser, the angry man. We see him in the Bible pictured in Cain and Lamech. Um, they mur- Cain murdered his brother. The other guy tried to kill everybody. <laughs> he wanted to kill everybody. Just angry, violent. The bully, the bully. And one thing we've learned from military history is that the bully's actually always a coward hiding behind his violence. And we learn that, we see it on the battlefield, that the, the first guy to run is usually the angriest, most violent person. And, and so many men choose that. They choose to just, just live in their anger rather than ever face their own reality, their own heart. And then you, you've also got the achiever. Everybody loves the achiever. They think the achiever is the success. The achiever is the one who's knocking it out of the park. But what they don't know about the achiever is a lot of time he's hiding behind the achieving. And as soon as he can't achieve anymore, I see this in men all the time. I see this in myself all the time. As soon as he can't achieve anymore and the accolades stop coming in to drown out the echo chamber of his own heart, then, then the achiever begins to slide, begins to see that he's really just kind of behind the mask. And then, of course, there's the coward. And the coward is something that no man ever wants to be. Every man is fighting the coward within him on some level or another. And it's funny, funny not funny. Uh, Abraham to me, is a perfect picture of the, the battle every man has to deal with when dealing with his inner coward. Because Abraham was tough. Abraham listened to God. Abraham had an army and won battles. And then Abraham had moments where he hid behind his wife's skirt, where he, he was not. He, and so he was, there, there's just these paths that men kind of end up on. Angry, overachieving, and hiding. And so what I want you to know is what the Word of God, what Jesus has for you, what Jesus died for for you. The Bible says in Romans 5, 17, If by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That's the phrase I want you to see. They will reign in life. And this, men, this is your heritage that Jesus died for for you to reign. Every man is called to be a king, is called to reign. Now, some of you are going to do different things with that. Some of you just got really nervous that I said that. You know, you're like, oh, my husband does not need to hear this. He's already hard to get along with. Some men took that to an extreme. That's right, I'm the man of my house. I get to do what I want. You're not going to like me at the end of this message, but it's okay. I'm used to that, all right? In fact, when I was going through this series, I was trying to figure out these stages and what a man learns, and it was, I, it was kind of a, I struggled with the, the warrior and the king. I mean, when does a man learn to serve, and when does a man learn to lead? And I organized it in such a way so that we look at the warrior learning to lead and the king who's learning to serve. Because in Jesus, how Jesus taught us to do it, was Jesus said that the greatest among you would be the servant of all. And so Jesus said that if you're going to lead, you lead by influence, not by order, not by dictate, not by position, but you lead by influence. And so if a man moves, as a man moves and learns to reign in life, he's got to learn to be a man of 
influence. And so we're using David's life as a a look at this, and I I found some things in David's life that just are amazing. And you're going to need a lot more than today to think about some of these things. And I've really tried to condense this just down to the most important ideas. So bear with me as I rocket through this, this warrior who becomes a king, who moves on, the warrior has to become a king, and let's, let's look at these scriptures in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, we, we move from the story of David in 1 Samuel being the, the guy hiding, the guy trying not to get killed by King Saul, into 2 Samuel where David becomes king and then begins to deal with the challenges of being a king, the challenges of reigning. And so David isn't even a king yet in the passage that I'm about to read. In fact, what I'm about to read is that moment when Saul is dead, and now David is set up to become king because God has anointed David through Samuel years before to be king. And so now Saul is dead where we're jumping in the story. So pause. Before you read the scripture, pause. David's arch enemy is dead. King Saul. King Saul has wanted David dead for years. He's, tri- he's tried to run him down. He's, he's uh, had people betray David. I mean, no one has caused more offense upon David's life than Saul. Are you with me? Can you nod like, okay, that makes sense. Arch enemy. Like the Joker to David the Batman. Does that make sense? Okay. No. Let's <laughs> try to... You older folks remember what I said earlier, younger folks what I just said, and everybody's fine, okay? And here's what David says. This is David's eulogy for Saul. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul. For he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing and garments decorated with gold Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Then the men of Judah came to David and anointed him king over the people of Judah. I'm jumping down to 2 Samuel 2. And when David heard that the men of Jabesh Gilead had buried Saul, he sent them this message. May the Lord bless you for being so loyal to your master Saul and giving him a decent burial. May the Lord be loyal to you in return and reward you with his unfailing love. And I too will reward you for what you have done. I've read these passages to you and they may not have, maybe they're hard to follow. But what I need you to see is this, that David's arch enemy Saul died and David honored Saul. He honored Saul. Did you hear this? It wasn't Saul was mean and Saul ruined lives and Saul tried to kill me and wreck my family and he deserved to die on that battlefield. It wasn't that at all. It was David saying, this is a man of honor. This is a king deserving of honor. And so David honored his arch enemy. I mean, how? first you've got to ask yourself, I mean, Why? I mean, David was a total jerk to Saul. He treated him so badly, tried to kill him on multiple occasions. Why, why, why would David honor Saul? And here's why. And this is important. We're going to apply this later, but right now let's just, let's just ask the questions of the text. Why? I'll tell you why David honored Saul. Because God picked Saul to be the king of Israel. God picked him. It wasn't, there was no vote. 
No, no, no one got together. The people of Israel didn't pick Saul. God said, this is the guy. God honored Saul, so David honored Saul. God honored Saul, so David honored Saul. And then David honored the best story of Saul's life. Right after Saul, right as Saul's becoming king, the people of Jabesh Gilead are under assault by an evil king from another land, and Saul comes to their rescue. It was his first moment stepping into his kingly reign. It was the first and maybe only time that Saul did it right. And so the people of Jabesh Gilead loved Saul because he saved them. And so David came along these people who were huge supporters of Saul. In fact, they were such big supporters that they fought the Philistines to recover Saul and Jonathan's bodies so they could give him a decent burial. And David, rather than ignoring that, because that's what w- would happen today, right? Your, your enemies, your friends of your enemies, you would ignore them and hope they would go away. But rather than doing that, David steps up and honors the courage of those who honored King Saul. That's amazing to me. So first thing I want you to see out of David's life is that David chose to honor King Saul, who was far less than honorable to David. Can you remember that? Okay, second thing I'm going to show you. It's 1 Samuel 30, verse 26. When David, so this is 1 Samuel. I'm jumping back to a prior book. This is before David is king. When David arrived at Ziklag, David sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah who were his friends. Here's a present for you taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. The gifts were sent to the people of the following towns David had visited. I'm not going to read you the list of towns. But Saul, I mean, David honored King Saul. And then the second thing I want to see you do, I want you to see that he did, was David coming into his kingly reign. He values gifts and giving above receiving. Why does this matter? When David was a young man, God said through the prophet Samuel, you will be king. He'd been waiting decades for that to happen at this point. And he's on the cusp of becoming the king of Judah and then Israel. But as he's, as he's preparing, as God is preparing the warrior to transition to the king, the leader the transition to a servant of the people, as God's preparing that to happen, David is investing, follow me, David's investing in a kingdom that's not even his yet. He's pouring into the leaders that he will lead in the future, not yet. And he does that through giving to them and, and coming before them. And, and he does that because he believes in God's word over the situation he's going through. He's in a tough time running from Saul and he's giving gifts to support the kingdom that will eventually, at some point, he believes, be his. The last thing. So David honored Saul. David gave gifts and invested in the kingdom he would have in the future. And the third thing, that David saved a friend's son. 2 Samuel 9. By the way, every one of these stories deserves their own sermon. I'm just trying to condense her. The king then asked him, King David, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. 
He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodibar, Ziba told him. Lodibar. There's so much here, but I'm just going to show you a couple things. Mephibosheth's story, that's the son of Jonathan that's talked about here. Mephibosheth. If any of you have, you know, a child coming in your family, it's a good name. We're going to have twins, grandchildren. I'm going to mention that to Cody, my son. Maybe he could split it up between both of them. Mephib, a chef, and just, <clears throat> or fib and chef. That might be good. I don't know. Mephib, I'm going to call him Fib. Fib was injured the day that, that Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. A nurse tripped over him or dropped him and it injured his feet and he was lame the rest of his life. He was a son of a prince. He was a, a king's grandson. But that kingly line had ended in that battle against the Philistines that day and now he's lame. He's not even a decent man, much less a king. And then the Bible tells us he's in a place called Lodabar. And Lodabar means no thing or nothing. It means no water, means no vision, it means no word, it means nothing. So Fib is in the land of nothing under the curse of a broken dynasty, the family of Saul, with no hope. You know, I, we live in a culture where they've told us you can be anything you want to be and do anything you want to do. Um... And there may be some truth to that, and, and there may be a little bit more uh, <clears throat> stuff that sells books than truth, you know. But in Mephibosheth's case, there's no way out of Lodibar on your own. You don't walk out of nothing by yourself, especially when you can't walk. And so King, King David remembers a promise that he made to Jonathan to protect his family line. And so he asks and finds the descendant of Jonathan, and he goes and he rescues him. And he takes, he takes Mephibosheth from the land of nothing, the man with, who's lame and can't walk, and he brings him to the king's table and takes care of him the rest of his life. He saved him. He went to the land of nothing and found a prince's son and delivered him to the king's table. You can see how there can be so much there to talk about and think about. But that's not the point of today. The point is I just want to show you three things that the king did. Three simple things. He honored Saul, <clears throat> he gave gifts, and he saved Mephibosheth. Now, there's this, the illustration, now let's apply it. And let's look at ourselves, men, for just a minute, and let's ask ourselves three questions. Let's ask ourselves who should be honored. Let's ask ourselves what should be given. And let's ask ourselves who could be saved. And I'm going to make some clarifications as I go through this, so don't panic just yet. Romans 12.10. Love each other with genuine affection. Amen? Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight and criticizing each other. Take delight in complaining about each other. Mm. I'm sorry, I just Americanized it. <clears throat> Take delight in honoring each other. This is what I want to see develop 
in the culture of my own life and also in the culture of ordinary faith is a culture of honoring people. What, is that, what does that mean? What, it, means, it means that when you honor someone, you call out what is good in them. You declare the promise over them. You state their future. You see in someone what Jesus sees in someone. That's what it means to honor. It is so easy to call out someone's past. I mean, it's so easy to see all the things they've done wrong and try and identify and try to find a value, or no, to state a value of that person based upon their past. Well, that is the most unchristian thing in the world to do. That's what the devil does. You don't want to get on the accuser's side. Do you want to be on the accuser's side? I don't. I mean, seriously, courtrooms of heaven, the accuser's there all the time accusing the brethren to the father. That one failed. That one's got a terrible history. That one's never going to make it. Those are the kinds of things that the accuser would say. He's the, the perfect prosecuting attorney, finding everything wrong with us and declaring it to the Father. That's what the accuser of the brethren does. But we are, we are the brethren. I, I don't need a devil's advocate. I think he's got enough advocates. I, we need... We need we need advocates of right, of hope, of the future. And so when we talk about honoring brothers and sisters in Christ and honoring people, this is what we, this is, this is kingdom speech here. I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of declaring what's wrong in the world. Adam sinned, everything's wrong. There you go, done. That's the kingdom, man, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the accuser. That's the state it's in. I'm not in that kingdom. Jesus rescued me from the kingdom of accusation and put me into the kingdom of righteousness, of hope, of light, and of a future, and of real life. I've been transferred. We've all been moved. And so me talking about the kingdom you came from and how you failed in that kingdom, don't take an insult, but that's just stupid. We need to talk about the kingdom that's coming. Isn't that part of the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come. So you want to know what to pray for each other? Pray for God's kingdom to come into a brother or sister's life rather than declaring what the kingdom of darkness did to that brother or sister's life. Does that make sense? This is what we mean when we talk about honor. Honor is when we look at a situation, a person, no matter what it is, and rather than respond to the kingdom of darkness that's influenced that person, we respond to Jesus in that moment. <sighs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the Bible says this in Peter. Sorry, I'm going to run out of time, and I really want to develop this more, but let me, let me try and head this way. It's God's will that you, that your honorable lives should silence these ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Now before you get too excited about that first verse and start calling everybody ignorant, <laughs> ignorant is Tennessee for ignorant. But where I come from, it's ignorant. <clears throat> My mama said, now don't be ignorant. So, <clears throat> two syllables instead of three. For you are free. You are free. Isn't that terrifying? <laughs> you are free, yet you are God's slaves. 
So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to live in the kingdom of darkness. Don't, be, don't use your freedom as an excuse to join the accuser. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And respect the king. Let me read the, that last verse to you out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Because in that translation it says, Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You know which emperor he's referring to? There's some argument about the date of 1 Peter. I believe he's referring to Emperor Nero. Some argue he's referring to Emperor Domitian. Doesn't matter because both of them angrily and violently persecuted Christians. Both of them tried to destroy the Christian faith. And here Peter declares, honor the emperor. And he begins the whole thing by saying, honor everyone. Honor everyone. <clears throat> Boy, we could have fun. Painful fun with that, couldn't we? We could talk about our Facebook feeds. Wouldn't that be fun? Talk about all the honor going on there. With all those people we disagree with. I mean, who, when, it, when the Bible says honor everyone, what, what do you think that means? I mean, children? Women? Other races? Democrats slash Republicans? Presidents? Congress people? <laughs> and it was hard. Your parents? Your boss? I talked last week about obedience to Scripture. I never told you, I never said, and I will never say, that obeying Scripture is something that's easy to do. If you ever hear me say, well, you just got to do it, I'm a victim of temporary insanity. Because I don't believe you just got to, you can just do things. I think when it comes to doing the right thing, you need Jesus to do it. I think you need the Holy Spirit to do what's right. I think if you do what's right without the Holy Spirit, it makes you proud and then you become wrong again. So even the right thing becomes wrong because the motivation behind the right thing is wrong and it's the motivation that makes a thing right or wrong. But God's so big, he can use it either way. But that's another point. So the next time that you, uh, you know, see that meme that totally sets you off, I want you to pause the next time you meet someone who disagrees with you and who doesn't think like you, because certainly everyone should think like you, right? I want you to pause. I want you to hit the brakes. And I want you to ask yourself a question. I want you to ask, I wonder how much this person is worth. I wonder how much this person is worth. Michael, what does that mean? Because I'm going to tell you what they're worth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, and that son died for them. And in dying for them, God declared and established their value. 
Things are worth what someone's willing to pay for them. And God is willing to pay the blood of his only begotten son for every human being on this planet, regardless of their race, their creed, their religion, their politics, or anything else. Everyone is worth the blood of Jesus, including you. And so when God says, honor everyone, he's saying, I want you to value people like I do. And, and so, yeah, you can get mad and declare all that's wrong with them and all the places that you disagree with them, or you can just begin to honor them. And you can begin to see that even though they have, may have hurt me, they may have offended me, they may have disagreed with me, that changes nothing. I can still honor them. I can call out the good in them. I can say about them things that are true and good rather than things that are factual and bad. So, men, let us learn to be men who honor people. And let us begin to ask that question and lead lives that that produce honor. And the reason I, I think this is really important is because I feel like so many men feel like they deserve honor but they're unwilling to give honor. They feel like they deserve to be respected, but they're unwilling to respect other people. And so I'm asking you to consider giving respect and giving honor because of God's value placed on a person, not based on your opinion of the person. Because, let's be honest, guys, not an insult. Our opinion is really ignorant. I mean, we really don't know. I don't mean ignorant as you're ignorant. I mean ignorant as we don't know the, the things a person has to deal with, the story they came from, the challenges they face. We are ignorant of them. And so we can't make a fair assessment of them. But God made a fair assessment, and he said they're worth the blood of his son, and there's nothing more valuable than that so we can honor people. Now, is this easy? Am I saying just do it? No. No, I'm not. I told you, if I said that, that would be temporary insanity on my part. God's going to put people in your life that look dishonorable in this kingdom because they are of this kingdom. We're all of this dark, accusing, broken kingdom. God's asking you to shine light on the situation and respond to them as you would to Jesus. And that is how we do it. Didn't Jesus say, and as much as you've done it to the least of these... You've done it to me. Do you remember who the least of these were? The poor, the foreigners, the imprisoned, the sick. Do you realize of all those categories of people that some of those categories have bad people in them? People we would consider worthy of disrespect? But Jesus said, when you serve those people, you're serving me. Does that make sense now? Don't respond to the kingdom of darkness coming at you. Respond to the kingdom of light that is in you. Then you can honor those that are hard to honor. Who should we honor? Second thing. I'm going to have to skip a verse or two here because I talked too long. As usual. Second, what should be given? God has some strange ideas about giving that I don't like, really. This, you know, I don't mind giving as long as it doesn't hurt too much. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 3, for I can testify that they, talking of the Macedonians, gave not only what they could afford, but far more 
and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers at Jerusalem. So I just want you to think about, men, being a king is not about what you take and what you get. It's about what you give. And in fact, that's the premise of this whole message. We talk about honor. We talk about men giving honor to other people. And, and, and so here we see a situation in David's life where he gave to others. And then we encounter this word from Paul which says that there's this, these Christians, these nutball Christians in Macedonia who gave far more than they could ever afford. And, and as I read these things in Scripture, I'm like, okay, God, what are you trying to say? Did you ever ask that? God, what are you trying to say here? You know, because there's like a reasonable stewardship, right? That's a reasonable giving. Um, I, you know, I guess people have different views on what that is. I'm, I'm pretty old school. I think, you know, I think 10%, the tithe, I think that's a great place to start. Some people like think 1% is a great place to start. I'm not coming after you for that, but I'm just thinking, that's reasonable. Most of us could give a percentage of our income on a regular basis that we budget in and we plan for, and we take care of our churches, and we take care of our missionaries and those kind of things. And so there's a reasonable way to give, but the Bible is filled with unreasonable giving. The Bible is filled with this giving that's like nuts, radical. So there's reasonable giving, but the Bible has, talks about this thing called radical giving. And where someone gives beyond their means. And I'm like, God, what is that about? Because I got responsibilities and bills, and I worry a lot anyway. And I'm, you know, and I'm looking at the economy right now going, yeah, because I'm always this way. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. Preacher Little, that's what they call me. <clears throat> And I think this is what Jesus said to me, man. And it's so, Jesus is loving, but he will, he will slap you. Like, here's a, well, I mean, that's a loving father thing. He's like, I love you, son. Okay. Jesus in John 15 said that he's the vine and we're the branches. He's the vine and we're the branches. And, and I, I, I'm starting to understand what he means by radical giving. And, and I'm not just talking money, by the way, because I think money is one of the easiest things to give. I think we see that in Wyoming. I think a lot of people, you know, they give money so they don't have to deal with it. Oh, you need my time? Sorry, I don't have any of that. Oh, some money will get you out away, away from my front door? I'll get you off the phone? Here's some money. I'm not really even talking about money. I'm just talking about that God wants us to give from a, a, a radical place. A different place. You see, you and I are not the vine, but we act like we're the vine. And what I mean by that is, we go, like, there's a need at the church, or there's a need in our community, and it's whatever it is, and we don't go to the vine, we go to our bank accounts because we think we're the vine. And what we need to do is we need to realize we ain't the vine. We're the branch. And what does the branch do? The branch transfers from the vine to the fruit. That's it. And what does the branch do? Does he sit there and try? Sit in on it. Mm, oh no. All the branch does is hang on to the vine. That's all the branch does. That's the amazing gift of the branch. He hangs on to the vine. And in hanging on to the vine, the vine produces a produces through the branch fruit. What if Jesus wants us to get past what we're able to do? 
just so he can show us what is possible to be done through us? What if he wants to get past all that? And that's what radical giving's about. It's about connecting with Jesus as a source and living sacrificially in all the things in our life. The last question I want to ask is who can be saved? I've got to be careful with this one. Sometimes serving in the church and in volunteer things attracts certain mentalities, codependent mentalities, Messiah complexes. I've seen them all. <laughs> okay, I've seen a lot of them. I, I don't want to think I've seen it all yet because I, I probably haven't. I've, I've been surprised, and it's really hard to hold that stony look when you're being surprised, but I'm not bad at it. <laughs> Jude one twenty three, Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. And then Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You see, David stepped into Mephibosheth's life. There was no way he could save himself. And I think that's something we need to understand. It's so easy to dishonor people. Why don't they just change? Why don't they just get out of addiction? Why don't they just fix their marriage? Why don't they just save money? Why don't they just live in their budget? On and on it could go. And, and you know, guys, it, it, they came out of a kingdom of darkness, and you don't know the deck that's stacked against them. And just because someone's problems aren't the same as your problems... Or just because you haven't got caught and they did, maybe. <laughs> There's that too. There's <clears throat> no reason to walk away from broken people. But here's the thing. You and I can't save anybody. And that's, that's what Jude was trying to teach us. You can't just walk into a, a horribly broken and sinful situation and walk away from that unchanged or even unsullied. No, but what you can do is you can do what ambassadors of Christ do. Come back to God. You see, Jesus is the answer, not you. Jesus is the answer. He's the strength. He's the hope. And there are people out there that need someone today to walk into their life and in some way, some real way that they can understand, say, come back to God. And I'm not necessarily saying you need to go to your broken neighbor and yell in his front door, come back to God, you heathen. You shouldn't do that. What I am saying is we need to preach the gospel in ways that people can understand the gospel. What does that mean? Well, that might mean you, you go clean up his yard that's got five years worth of trash in, around his trailer. It, it might mean you help him through a situation. It might mean you just sit, shut up, and listen. By the way, I don't know if there's a spiritual gift of shutting up, but there should be, you know? I do my best work when I don't say anything. <laughs> if we men saw ourselves kind of as medics on this battlefield of life, and if we stopped hearing the insults and the accusations that are coming at us from the world and from our enemies, we stopped hearing them as assaults on us and realized what they really are saying. Your worst enemy, what he's really saying is, Medic! Help! 
That's, that is the cry of a world that's under the bondage of sin. They want out of it. If we could begin to start hearing the word medic instead of the insult or the attack, we might be able to connect people with the one who can save them. We might be able to, to give them Jesus, to live an honorable life in such a way, as Peter said, that, that came against all the attacks, that proved them wrong. You see, it's not a new thing for Christians to suffer and be persecuted. It's, um, it's par for the course. It's the way things have always been. We need to stop fearing it. And we need to start stepping out into it. Accept the fact there's a battle going on. And the world needs men to rise up and grow from that cowboy stage where they learn to master themselves into that warrior stage where they learn to be the one to step out first and lead, into that king stage where we start to serve. And sometimes serving looks like giving honor to people that no one else thinks is honorable. Sometimes it means sacrificing time and money because there are people who have needs or because Father just said to do it. And sometimes it means that we go into situations and we be help and we go into the land of Lodibar, the land of no word, the land of nothing, and we help someone out of that to find something. You realize we live in the world that people are so used to nothing that they think it makes them happy. They think it satisfies. And so I'm challenging us, I'm challenging myself to begin to learn that our lives are not what we give, men. And how as kings and digital products that I am not, I'm dishonoring right now in my mind, I want to ask you to think about what you can do this week as a king in your life. Here's some simple ideas. Have you thought about just giving your wife a listening and understanding ear? Okay, I'm going to throw this last one in because this is hard. I don't, until she's done. I didn't even have that in my notes. I think that was of the spirit, man. All right. I may need to go somewhere this week. Uh, I'm just kidding. This one. Could you give your sons and daughters honor calling them into their future rather than criticizing their past? Could you give someone life could you encourage a coworker? Could you tell you what I've been doing lately? My, my wife and I are working on prayer calendars. We're praying for people each day, people in the church and people in the community. And so we're trying to, and I'm not the best at it, she's amazing at it, but we're trying to text or email people and say, hey, I'm praying for you, what can I pray for you today? And then send them an actual prayer. I am amazed at how people who really have no faith in God at all, respond to someone praying for them. It blows my mind daily. I mean, I, it really does. I'm, I'm praying for people who, have, who do not agree with me theologically <laughs> at all. <laughs> and it's amazing to me. Maybe you could do that, guys. Maybe you could give some honor to someone by praying for them and not praying your will on them. I know some of you are like, oh, i got some things to pray for some politicians and some city leaders. And 
I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about praying for God's courage for them, praying for their families and their children, realizing they face the same challenges in life that you do. Maybe this week you could help somebody who's broken. Maybe it's that guy sitting out there at the sign at Walmart. I mean, if 100 people prayed for that guy in the week's out, he's either going to be okay, get saved, or leave town. Something's going to happen, you know? So take a step. And like we said last week, take a step. Focus on Jesus. Take another step. Don't ever take a step and pat yourself on the back and go, I did great. (laughs) Don't do that. Let Jesus celebrate you and you follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Worship team, if you guys want to come up. I pray that you would help us as men and help us as Christians to just stand up and be people who give. This honor thing, God, has got me gut-punched. I ain't going to lie. I pray, Lord, though, that you would help us to rise up to Jesus in our life. To stop seeing our enemies as enemies and to see them more as the kingdom of darkness overwhelming and let us respond to the kingdom of light that Jesus has in us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to give and to love, but to fight and be strong. I pray, Lord, that you raise up a a godly warrior generation of men who are absolutely fearless, who cannot be controlled by people who insult us, that are always free to love when hated, to honor when disrespected, to, to, to suffer when hurt. Father, I pray that you help us to be so much like Jesus that no one can argue with that gospel. Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.